Welcome to the On The Rise podcast with your host, Tanner Lewis of Rise Music Group. We talk to top professionals in the music business today as well as the rising stars of tomorrow. Let's hop into this episode of On The Rise. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Hilo Digital Marketing. Hilo Digital is a Nashville-based digital marketing company. They're doing great work. If you're interested in checking them out, Check them out at www.helodigital.com. That's H-I-L-L-O digital.com. All right. Welcome to this episode of On the Rise. I'm here with my good buddy, Mr. Zach Hawcroft from CDA Entertainment. What's going on, Zach? How's it going? It's going well, man. How are you? Man, I'm good. Just enjoying the inside of my house on <laughs> Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like, I mean, I know you were just in, in Wyoming, but for the bulk of this thing um, and for the listeners, we're, we're still in the middle of coronavirus times here when we're recording this, but it seems like you've been staying pretty close to the house during the whole thing. Man, I have not left. I think I left twice traveling wise. I've gone home twice. Yeah. Um, yeah my, my grandma passed away, unfortunately, in June, so I went home for that. Oh, no. And then... Just decided I needed to go home again to to get out of the house and go to the safe haven that is Wyoming. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I've never been to Wyoming, but I assume it's probably a little less claustrophobic than Nashville or Austin is. So probably a good place to go and get away. Oh yeah, I think there's like a hundred cases in the county I'm from, and that's like out of fifty or sixty thousand people. So it's it's pretty minuscule at the moment. What town are you from? I'm from Gillette. Gillette. Wyoming. Yeah. It's uh, like two hours west of Mount Rushmore, about three hours south of Billings. Okay. So what's, what size town is that? It's probably like 25, 30,000 people. Maybe right. a little so, more. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty small, but man, I grew up uh, in Lexington, Texas, and it's got, I think it's like 956. We've always been hovering right under that 1000 people mark. And, uh, my dad still has our property down there, and he's like, man, there hasn't been any cases re- reported here. I mean, zero. Like, they've got a grocery store, they've got a Dollar General, and, and in case, you know, till, till all this, like, government mandate came in, we're like, nobody's worried about it here. <laughs> it's so, so wild. Like, it's just funny, too. I know, you know, like, even counties that are close to populated areas in Texas still have, like, no cases. Yeah. Well, yeah. kind of well, I think that's why, you know, early on it was so, um, it didn't make any sense to do like a statewide close closure or mandate yeah. or anything because yeah, Dallas and Houston and Austin needed it. But you know, the people out there in the country that don't see anybody on a regular day-to-day basis anyway, they were like, why, why do we have to wear a mask? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So, man. It Thank was you. interesting. But uh, but anyway, back in Nashville now and uh, getting to experience working from home for a change, huh? Yeah. <laughs> We've been working from home for a while. Um, it was funny when we were leaving, you know, like closing up the office. Just it was right as everything hit. And we're like, oh, we'll see you, you know, at the end of May. And here we yeah. are, August, and still, you know, just working from home and probably working from home for the rest of the year. I'd imagine. And how many people do y'all have in the office on a normal basis? 
And we just have Gino and I, um, Gino's my boss. We were actually in a co-working space. We're just out of it now just because there's you know, no need to really be there with everything going on. Yeah. Were y'all still right there, um, right kind of above the gulch? Is that where y'all are yeah. still at? Yeah, we were in um, Cummins Station, actually. We just moved down oh, to okay. cool. a different co-working space. Yeah. So, cool. Yep, well, just it, was a, um, it was a cool building. I, I mean, Cummins Station's cool in an in a different sort of way you know you went from like the big shiny high rise to the one that has like all the character in downtown nashville yeah totally and it's the same um it's called industrious just a co-working company and um just went from one location to the other i don't think i could do an office incoming station though because they've got um is it sushi fever something like that that has the um sushi buffet oh what is it called Man, yeah, and it's cheap. It's like yeah, 12, like 12, 12 bucks sushi buffet. I would be a terrible worker in the afternoons if I had an office right down the hall from that. Yeah, you get like three full plates of sushi and like the bait going back down after you go back upstairs. You're like, man, should I go more? I don't know. <laughs> Gino will be like, Zach, man, you've been to lunch for uh, three hours. Come back. You, you look like you've gained a little weight. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, um, obviously, you're working with CDA Entertainment now and, uh, and working with acts like Aaron Watson, Gable Bradley, but to, to our audience who doesn't know you very well, um, can we give kind of a little bit of personal background and then kind of segue into more of the, the professional side of things? Sure. So I'm from Wyoming, as I said. Um, I grew up, you know, like playing guitar in coffee shops and kind of, you know, thinking I wanted to be a guitar player. And then uh, kind of went the avenue of maybe potentially pursuing guitar performance for, you know, a career. And was looking at this school in Minnesota that isn't even open anymore. So I'm, I'm glad I <laughs> My folks were like, you know, you should maybe pursue something that doesn't just give you a piece of paper that says you can play guitar. Like, you know, it's not like legitimate, like it's great if you want to do it. Right. But you know, what's, what's the avenue when you get out of school. So I, uh, you know, started like looking around and still, you know, was thinking of guitar performance, but I, uh, had a friend that lived in Nashville. That's from my hometown and was an artist. And he was like, bro, like you should, you know, check out MTSU. It's this great school. It's not, super expensive for out of state. Their music business program is one of the best in the country, you know, rivals Belmont and Berkeley and, you know, all these places and you should look into it. And I applied and long story short, that's where I wound up for college. Um, so study music business was in, uh, in that program for like three and a half years where I went to school. Um, it was in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which is about 30 minutes south of Nashville. So kind of getting into the business, I guess I took a songwriting class and I think I moved here like wanting to write songs just cause you know, you get to sit on a couch with your buddies every day, but yeah. until you move here, you don't really know the grind. And then when you get out and like get into it, your competition is Shane Mac, you know, Shane McAnally and Luke Laird and Brett James and all these people that have accolades and, you know, or, you know, probably 200 number ones between the three of them. Sure. That's your competition, you know? So, you know, 
taking a songwriting class and I ended up interning with uh, a guy named Trent Summer and that was just via a hookup um, from the songwriting class. But Trent is, or he had um, a band called like Hank Flamingo back in the day as a songwriter. So for him, he was just out of a publishing deal and needed his whole catalog like organized. So he gave me a bunch of work tapes, a bunch of MP3s, a bunch of lyric sheets. So I went and listened to all these songs, wrote out a bunch of lyrics and then had it organized from him. And then basically just would hang out with him during the week, probably like one or two days a week and just chill. And, and was he organizing it? Um, to pitch for a new deal or was yeah. he, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so he was getting ready for a new deal and he was just making sure it was like, okay, like I have everything like on a thumb drive, on a CD, you know, in a spot, like a Google drive where he can just send to different publishers. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one thing too, that, you know, I, you kind of have this preconceived thing when you move here, like you get a publishing deal and like, you know, that could be your only publishing deal. Right. And there's situations where, you know, publishers maybe need a change or you as a songwriter need a change. So, you know, you, you get out of your deal and you're back to square one, essentially. Like you have a whole new catalog you're building. You need to pitch it to publishers, you know, the whole, you know, basically just starting over. So, um, and a lot of times, like it's a pretty easy jump for people because everybody's so connected here. But for him, it was just getting out of a deal and just looking for a new one and, you know, getting it ready for him to take meetings with other publishers, essentially. So interned with him. And then one of the days when I was at his, like the internship with him, we went to lunch with a bunch of people from 30 Tigers. And I, you know, had no idea who they were at the time, but um, Tracy Thomas ended up being there and Tracy manages Jason Isbell, and, you know, legend in town and like that space and uh talked to her like a little bit and you know just named a face and um i was talking to trent about what i was gonna do um like my next semester for school it was my last semester and i mean he's like oh well 30 tigers is looking for you know interns you should go check it out so you know long story short like i put in an application and trent uh it's a Tracy. He's like, Hey, you remember Zach? Like, you know, you, like he's applying. And I, I think Tracy put in a good word for me and I got a, an internship, which was awesome. Very um, cool. Yeah. So from there I was a management intern and was working with uh, a buddy of mine who is, or was the day to day for Patty Griffin. So I got a, you know, kind of immerse myself in the management world. Not yeah, for sure. But, and um, so for, for our audience who don't, don't know, um, 30 Tigers, 30 Tigers is part of uh, a large distribution company. And then they also yeah. have some, some labels and artist management functions they're, within their company. Basically like just a distribution company and they, you know, they have a management arm. They have a radio promotion team. Now they have, uh, Triple Tigers, which is a country label. Um, right. That was Russell Dickerson and Scotty Mercury. Um, but as far as distribution goes, they've got Ryan Bingham and Sergio Simpson and 
you know, all these Jason Isbell. Like yeah, these, one of the larger independent ones in town, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, I just totally immersed myself in the management world and, you know, like filling out at venue and all this stuff for them. Was that intentionally? Like, did you go in there seeking the management role or were they just like, hey, we've got an opening here, go that way? Man, I wasn't, I, I put like I was interested in it. Um, and uh, just really kind of fell into it. It was just like, hey, this is where we're, the, the intern coordinator was putting me. It's like, hey, you know, we've got this opening. You're going to work with Matt. And, you know, you'll be his intern for, for the semester. Um, and so Matt's, Matt's the day-to-day. You're his intern. Yeah, and uh, kind of who, who are the immediate roster clients that y'all are working with? Basically, Patty Griffin, and then he was working, and I think he still does actually, with uh, this instrumental act called Steelism. And they're both session guys in town, and like they're just monster players. And you know, so um, yeah, those are the two clients I work directly on. Cool. Um, so when when you're you're finishing up college, you get a uh, a pretty you know great internship opportunity get thrown in the management world. What does that look like from an intern perspective? You know, I mean, I was, I, I feel like I, I kind of was a little bit of an anomaly in that I didn't go to music business school. I went straight business, got in the corporate world and then kind of got back into the music business. Um, so I do feel like I missed out on the opportunities of getting into internships and, and learning, you know, from the ground up and stuff like that. Um, definitely, you know, something that I would have loved to have the opportunities to do. So um, for some of our audience that's like in college and looking to get into internship opportunities, what was that experience like for you? I mean, man, you're, you're in there. And the cool thing about 30 Tigers is they had just moved offices. So I was in the old office for like a week and a half, two weeks, and then they moved offices. And the new office is a huge open floor plan where you know, you need to get up, go get a cup of coffee. You're walking by literally everybody in the office. You're walking by David Macias's office. You know, you're, you're walking by all the project managers on the label side, other managers. I mean, you're, it's all just right there. So for me, it was just, you know, trying to be proactive and talking to people and like, hey, you know, do you need anything outside of my work? Or, you know, love just shake your hand, you know, say like, I'm here, I'm Zach, you know, I'll be here for the semester. Like, you know, love just get to know you. And that was like my angle, man, is like, I just wanted to just to know people and just, you know, immerse myself in that company. Um, and I think the music there really like, that's kind of what, you know, rooted me in that was yeah. just all the music I love, like was there. So um, as far as from a management perspective, man, it was just, you know, I remember with Steelism, uh, Matt had me look at like, tour support opportunities and, you know, who would Steelism fit best with. And I got him a list of probably like 40 acts that I thought would be a good fit that looked like they were on the road, but maybe didn't have support that could maybe fit, you know? Um, and then with Patty, I, she had just released a record um, and was on the road. And um, I'm trying to remember some of the stuff I did for her. It was five years ago, but it feels like it was five <laughs> years ago. And are you there for, is it three or six month internship? Or do they structure it? Yeah. Three months? So, yeah. Okay. Um, 
doing a bunch of mailers for her with the new record. So then, you, you know, you go print labels and put on a bubble mailer and put it through the mail machine and, you know, you do all yeah. this stuff. I'm organizing the mail room and, you know, just, just hanging out. Um, and another cool thing that they did, which I think was super beneficial just to getting to know people was they would do Friday lunches and they would take like a few of the project managers would invite interns and go. And I think I went to almost every single one. So then you really get to know them and it's just like such a family atmosphere and such a great culture to be in. Um, so, you know, long story short, I was there and it came to having a, there's like a two week period where my internship was up and I was about to graduate college. And I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm going to have to go work at Fido in Nashville and, <laughs> you know, sling some coffee or something. And, um, but, uh, a girl who was working for my current boss decided she was going to leave the company and maybe move back home. I don't know where she's at now, but, um, she left and Gino, my boss, was looking for somebody, and it was between me and another person, and, um, you know, interviewed, and thankfully got the job. But that was, like, the craziest week of my life, I think. Um, I think Tuesday, I interviewed for the job. Wednesday, my parents flew in. Um, Thursday, I found out I got the job. Friday, started the job. And then Saturday, graduated college. Very nice. Yeah. And then just started, you know, I didn't have a break and I'm super fortunate that I, you know, landed a gig. Yeah. And I mean, you know, for something that's in the vein that you were going for anyway, and you never had to fight through that application process that no. most people and do. I, so many people, I've talked to so many, like, you know, people who are interning now or, you know, you meet them out and they're like, like, what's your advice? You just go to the bar and meet <laughs> people as you can, like, yeah. you know, and then, you know, apply to places and, you know, eventually you're going to work your way. in. I think if you're, if you're hungry, but I didn't have any of that. I was just kind of thrown in and I hustled at the internship and very much, I think a right place, right time situation. But I think the line of hard work intersects with the line of opportunity. And I think, it, you know, that happens a few times in careers. And I think the harder you work, the more opportunities are going to come up. Most definitely. Yeah. So, and, and so Gino brings you in at that point, does, is he hiring for an assistant? Is he hiring for a day-to-day -day manager? What's, what's kind of like the initial role presented as? Yeah, I think it was just a day-to-day -day management position okay. um, for Aaron. And I, you know, of course did, and I still do help Gino with some like assistant work. Um, and it, it's, you know, uh, it's always kind of been that, which I think you have to find in the position that you're in. If you're doing day to day, you really have to jive with the manager and like understand how they work. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially, uh, you know, y'all, y'all have kept the atmosphere so, so tight over there that, you know, with, with the staff being so yeah. close together and everything, like I feel like those those lines are going to blur a little bit to where you're wearing more hats than you would in in a company that's got a very you know defined structure. Totally, totally. And and Thirty Tigers too also distributed Aaron um, at the time, and so you know it's it's funny with someone like Aaron. So Aaron does 
you know, doesn't have, he owns his label and always has owned his label. Um, and also owns his publishing. So we were doing, I mean, you, you wear a lot of hats, as you said, you, you do a lot. And, um, I mean, you, you are the label and you are the publisher at the end of the day, you have a lot more freedom, I think, as an independent artist than you would if you were at a label, um, you know, or have a publishing deal. Sure. And so Gino has been working with Aaron for how many years now? Do you know? Josh, since 2001, don't quote me. Okay. Um, but yeah, like almost 20 years. It's very cool. And, and I mean, what, what's always, you know, blown me away about like the focus of those two is just the way that they did build it. I mean, being, being completely self-contained, mm-hmm. but also the level of focus that it takes to build it like that. I mean, it wasn't like, um, I mean, to my knowledge, you know a lot more than I do, but, um, you know, it's, it's not like Gino got Aaron up and running and then went and signed 15 other acts. No. Um, so it's the hands-on attention yeah. that y'all are able to give that client. Sure. Is, sure. Is incredible compared to, you know, some of the other opportunities that might've been out there. Yeah. And Gino will tell everybody that, you know, they just started in a suburban for 250 bucks a show driving to the pizza joint in Amarillo or Abilene and playing. And, you know, eventually it snowballs, um, but doing a bunch of dates, you know, playing all over, playing all over Texas and then, you know, becoming a regional act and that act. And then now, you know, I would consider Aaron a very large kind of threat in that commercial country world. Um, maybe not, necessarily like on the radio but man like we go from california to pennsylvania to florida to texas to to wherever we're all yeah and i mean you you say not on the radio but i mean he's had some big big hits here here recently sure sure um um and i think more or less just you know commercial country like major label yeah yeah Uh, yeah yeah but uh you know, there's always been that level of focus and it's, it's funny when there's only a handful of you on the team, cause you, it requires a lot of focus and a lot of different facets because if there's a hole, you definitely, you definitely notice the hole a lot sooner if, if it's you doing it versus yeah. a, a team member doing it. Right. Right. So yeah. you talk about, um, Aaron's growth and how he kind of started, obviously, I'm from Texas, so I'm familiar with Aaron since you know, as long as I was old enough to pay attention to this type of music, I guess. Sure. Um, what do you kind of attribute some of the growth that y'all have been able to sustain over the past few years to? Man, we, um, I think just the consistency and Aaron just knows exactly what his brand is and who his fans are. Mm-hmm. And I think something that Gino and Aaron have done so well from the beginning is, you know, super serving the fans. Yeah. Um, and touring a lot of touring, you play, you know, the same market in some cases, you know, twice a year. And the goal is always to have more people the next time than you did, uh, the time before. And like, how are we marketing our shows? How are we, 
allocating advertising budgets to succeed, you know, working hand in hand with the venue and the promoter and their marketing teams and what are they doing, you know, and how, how can we be a good partner to win? And I think that's what a lot of it is about, you know, it, it's just a very mutual relationship with a lot of the venues and touring companies and acts and things. Yeah. Well, I think you, you started out that with hitting on what I consider, you know, one of Aaron's strongest suits. And I mean, so I'll, I'll tell you a little story about Aaron that I'm sure you've heard, um, probably from, from 1500 people by now, <laughs> but, um, you know, I grew up, playing music in Texas and hitting the dance hall circuit on a much smaller level than, than Aaron's doing uh, currently right now. But I remember, man, probably 2007, 2008, 2009, somewhere in there, we were opening for Aaron in a um, little, well, big, big barn rundown dance hall in Mejia, yeah. Texas. Uh, I think it was, I think it was called the Cowboy or something. I don't even know if they're still open or anything like that, but Open for Aaron, you know, he played, had a great show. At the end of the night, probably 2.30, a.m., he's still talking to fans, right? So he's at the merch stand, still talking to fans. Fast forward to um, me moving to Nashville, getting into the music industry there, and, uh, and getting my first gig up there with, back then it was uh, Vision Entertainment. Yeah. Uh, went and checked out Aaron at the Opry. Great show again, end of the night, we're walking out of the venue, much larger merch stand this time, but everybody's leaving and he's still there talking to the fans. So, I mean, that, that 10 year age gap and all that he'd attained in those 10 years never affected the way he viewed his fans. No, no, they are family essentially. And every single show, everywhere he goes, he will stay out and sign autographs until bus call yeah or later sometimes we gotta put <laughs> he takes care of everybody but i mean that that's essentially it and that's what people love you know like you want to be out there you want to meet everybody you know you want to sweat on everybody like it just that's the connection and you've got to just forge forge the connection um and aaron it, and aaron is the best dude he's such a nice guy he's like a big brother to me really and you know i've gotten pretty close and i've Work, working with him uh, a lot more directly lately as of the past six months. Cause I have, you know, I have to with coronavirus and, you know, we're, we're doing these private zoom concerts. So I sit with him for two hours every Monday and, and moderate a zoom and hang out with him. And, you know, normally I would only see him if he comes to town or uh, I go on the road um, and we'll talk. I mean, we talk on the phone probably now quite a bit, but, prior probably you know once a week once every couple of weeks um just on that front but now it's it's all the time text all the time you know he's he's solid he's good people yeah for sure and so we were talking a little bit about the um the zoom thing off off camera but um during these times kind of is is that kind of y'all's primary way of interacting with the fans and kind of keeping some some momentum or do y'all have any other um, stuff that you're, you're seeing work really well for his brand and his audience to kind of keep people excited about what he's doing, even though y'all can't go out and see the fans in person? Um, 
I mean, we're doing these private Zooms. Uh, he's been doing a Facebook Live every Wednesday. Okay, cool. And that has been happening since probably late February. So, you know, you see um, a lot of great feedback from fans in that regard of, man, like, thank you so much for doing this. We look forward to this every week. And, you know, just staying connected and being available as an artist. Yeah, uh, was he always... Um... I mean, the brand has always been very strong, um, but has there always been such a focus on the digital side of the business prior to this? Or is it something that, you know, this kind of brought up being like, hey, this is either an opportunity or this is a must have. We've got to get on board with this. Um, an opportunity for sure. And definitely, you know, you have to you have to pivot in times of like this, right? Like, um you go from being on the road two to three days a week to not being on the road at all. You're going to see a little dip in your income, obviously. Um, so a bit out of necessity, a bit out of, out of opportunity as well. Um, and it's been such a crazy neat, you know, experience. We've just never dove into it really, you know, not that there wasn't time, but I think your focus is, is, he's on the live show you're you're gone a lot you're working he's writing all the time you know working on records aaron's constantly writing um so being home i think it's freed up his time some but you're he's home every weekend now yeah and as a as a company are y'all doing i mean you're you're involved in the zoom and stuff like that but but y'all have kind of all of the branding marketing stuff under y'all's roof as well um, we actually have been using Gorilla. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's great. For a lot of our marketing efforts, and I've done. I did it all. We had um, a girl named Callie who worked for us too, and she did a bunch of it. And um, we've gone to Gorilla recently, um, but prior to that, you know, just making ad mats and yeah. marketing and running ads and all kinds of stuff. So um, yeah, Gorilla has been helping a lot with Very it. Cool. They're a, a marketing agency in Nashville that has a bunch of clients. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Cool. Um, so basically y'all, I mean, you know, between, between Gino and Aaron spent just years and years of 100% focus on Aaron. You come in, start kind of helping out on, on the day to day stuff. And then, and what's it been a year or two ago? Um, maybe longer. I don't know. You, you correct me. Um, but you start telling me about this guy, Gable Bradley, that you're really interested in uh, about. Oh, almost two years ago, actually, which is really crazy to think. Yeah. About. Um, yeah, about two years ago, man, I, um, you know, you, you learn, I think I learned more from Gino in my first six months than I did in four years of college. Sure. Don't, don't tell MTSU. I said that, <laughs> um, you know, you learn and you learn by experience. And I think uh, starting to feel a lot more comfortable with what I was doing and a lot more competent uh, and, you know, going out, networking, building a network of people you can call to, you know, talk about business and get business done. And um, I uh, had too many beers somewhere. I'll leave it at that and <laughs> stumbled into uh, 
tin roof in Nashville. Um, and I had a friend that was with me and they're like, yeah, there's this kid, you know, I, I met him and he's a super good dude. And, uh, you know, has, he's pretty good live and has good songs. And I think he's pretty solid. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, um, he ended up, I mean, you know, working in music, like it takes a lot to like trip the trigger, right? Like yeah. it, it feels like it's got to just be so right. And living in Nashville, not to knock people, but there's a lot of people who aren't ready, right? Like songs need to be better. Their live show needs to be better and not for sake of trying. Like there's so many people that come here and bust their ass, like not, not knocking the hustle, but you know, there's just gotta be a lot of right situations, I think. Um, and I'm just kind of jaded, not a lot of jaded, but <laughs> you, know, you, you go to three shows a week, four shows a week. Like it's got to take something like pretty special to stick out. Sure. Um, yeah. And I, uh, I think I'd met him once before and was like, yeah, like, we'll go see that dude play. And I think he was playing bus call, which they do Wednesdays at Tenerife when the world is actually open. But, um, man stumbled in there and literally just blew my mind. Like the live show did. I was just like, Holy cow. And like, you're so good. You're better than most of the people I see here, you know? So, um, I think we ended up getting coffee afterwards. And, uh, from there, like I kept bugging Gino about it. Like, Hey dude, like there's, there's a kid that's really good and, you know, I've been hanging out with him a lot and um, really think we should take a look at this and, um, and, you know, potentially look at signing him. And uh, I think the thing that tripped Gino's trigger about it is Gable, when he moved here, literally worked at YMCA and did like janitorial duties. Like was literally on his hands, his hands and knees scrubbing the floor at the Y, like the bathroom at the YMCA. And I think like that's what drew me a little bit too is like, man, he's willing to work this hard at it to make it work. Like yeah. that's the ethic you're gonna want. You can't just do it and expect it to happen, right? Like I think some people move to town and think it's gonna maybe be a little easier than than it actually is. Um so you know, I Gino and I had and I mean I've I'd hung out with him a bunch at this point and um Gino and I went and had lunch and um, with him and he really liked him. He's like, man, kid's good. And, you know, top of, top of last year, I think was when we officially signed him. Um, and we've been working with him ever since. So, cool. and so at that point, had you just been kind of sending music to Gino or did y'all, y'all ever go out to a show or did he just kind of like have enough faith in you to, to bite on it by, you know, knowing that you were fired up and also knowing that, uh, that Gable was a good dude. How'd that I, work? I think of all of the above, like, I think he saw my passion for it. Cause I'll pop in and be like, Hey man, like I saw this guy, like he was good. And you know, but I don't think he'd ever seen me as passionate about something that early on. Okay. Um, and I think he only had like one song out and like sent me a few work tapes, but this was so early because Gable's only been here for like, I think four years. Um, and hadn't even done really like, cause he was working, I think he was working like two or three different jobs at the time before his publishing deal. Um, yeah. but 
you know, getting in the circles and riding with staff riders at places and things. Yeah. Um, so I think I sent him just like a couple demos I had and then just, we went to a live show and I think that's when Gino was like, all right, like I get it, you know? So I'm like, let's do the thing. Yeah. So cool. yeah, kind of a mix of all of the above and, um, and he, he's been great. It's just, you know, he and I are the same age. So a lot of similar life experiences and, all of that and going through kind of the same things. So for sure. And yeah. so I do want to, I do want to hit on a point that you just skimmed over, but I think it's important. Oh, sure. You said, uh, you said he's, he's pretty new to town. Gable's pretty new to town. He's only been here about four years. <laughs> and I think, uh, I think a bunch of our listeners probably just took a deep breath right then because four years seems from the outside. eye like a lot of time, you know, um, for, for some of the young artists out there who think that they're going to move to Nashville and one or two years in, they're going to be really making some waves. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it is important to notate that a four year, a four -year old artist is, uh, is a new person in town for Nashville. Sure. sure. And he, um, went to college in Fayetteville, um, Arkansas. And, uh, I mean, he played the tin roof circuit in the South for like, yeah probably three years before he moved to Nashville um, and like just cut his teeth playing for people and playing in those bars and like knowing what works, knowing what doesn't work, like how to have fun on stage, how to not just stand there and look like a goob, you know, like, and that's what I think it was for me. It was just a live show. It was just like, Holy cow, like blew my doors off, dude. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, you're, you're talking a six or seven year career already at this point, you know, when, yeah. Uh, when when things finally start to move, it's it's definitely not an overnight thing. And some people move here having not even played a show outside of a coffee shop, you know, and and cut their teeth here and and spend the time and put in the work in Nashville before things really start to pick up. So I think Gable came in with a lot of experience before before he came here. Um, yeah, so. Very cool. So Definitely. then, um, y'all have done some really cool projects with him since uh, since you've kind of got involved. I know you sent me over a uh, a live taping that y'all did at the basement. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, we did this. Um, we hadn't had any music out prior to this, but uh, you know, kind of our strategy in town is just probably every five to six weeks play somewhere. You know, we've played. The High Watt, we've played um, Mercy Lounge, we've played The Local, we've played The Basement, uh, played Exit Inn, opening for Mike Ryan. Um, he's played all over. And yeah. it's this thing we had coming up, this was last, gosh, last year at this time, which that's crazy to think about too. But um, we had a show booked at The Basement, um, and I brought it up to Gina. I was like, damn. But if we just like record this thing, just put it out just to do it, you know? And like, I, th I think it builds a good foundation for when you hit the road, you're not at the mercy of a four song EP. You can have a full blown record essentially. Um, you know, you just get, get decent recording set up and um, yeah, and just, just record it and do it. And we put it out via tune core and, I mean, it's been great and just a lot of good feedback as well from fans and, you know, other people in the industry and just something different. I mean, I don't think you see that 
very often is an initial offering from an artist. Yeah. And did y'all track that all one night or? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was all just right there. Yeah. So at the basement, um, it was a free show, but it was packed and hot and sweaty and I mean, you can totally feel it in the recording, which Very is cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just, just trying to be forward thinking and have different ways to, to kind of do things and have cool, fresh ideas. Yeah, most definitely. And so I know since, since you've got involved with him, I mean, y'all have been, seems like you've been keeping his calendar full with rights, whether that be his networking or, uh, or you kind of helping out on the scheduling front or whatever. But I know I've hit you up a few times for rights when, uh, when I've had guys in town and it seems like y'all are always booked up. So somebody's doing their job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had his calendar for a while and, <clears throat> um, he uh, he got a publisher over a year ago, probably a year year and three months ago. Um, so I think that was one of the first uh, first goals that we put on the um, on the board for him was you know get him active in town, get him with certain riders. Like you know I'm I'm out all the time going to riders rounds and shows and things and like trying to think of like who would be a great fit for him and who do we know that could make that happen to move the ball forward um whether it was gino whether it was someone gino knows whether it was somebody i know you know doing our best to forge that connection and um i mean he's had a a a lot of great co-writes i mean super it's just been super cool for me just there's artists that he's and writers he's writing with that you know i moved here just admiring a lot and he's now like tight with them. And I'm like, dude, that's, that's nuts. But yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's been cool, man. But I had his calendar for probably four months and just kept him up with people I know and meeting new people and people's he, he's meeting and, um, and he was still working at the time too. So he'd work in the evenings, he'd go drive lift, he'd go work at sinkers, the liquor store in Nashville. Um, I think he was still taking some shifts at the Y but not as much trying to just hit it full time and um, had a lot of different meetings with publishers um, and then landed at Cornman with Brett James. And yeah. that's where he's at right now. And so yeah. kind of back up and talk a little bit about that process. When, when y'all start working with Gable and you first decide, Hey, I think one of the fir- first things could, that could really propel us a little bit is getting you involved with the publisher. What from a managerial perspective is kind of y'all's, um, that was roadmap, if you will. Man, I think getting just an initial meeting with them and just start getting them with some of their writers who are maybe not quite at the same, like kind of above Gable, where he's at at the time. I mean, he's a new artist in town, right? Doesn't have a ton going on. He's writing with some people, but maybe not necessarily the people he should be writing with. And that's also not a knock. That's just kind of how it goes, you know? And, um, so, you know, meeting with certain publishers and they're being like, oh, like we, Gabe will come in, play him some songs and we'll be like, man, like we love this or, you know, we think he'd fit super well with this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy, like, can we book him a few rights? And we're like, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, we'd love that. Like we, you know, just want to get him involved and see what y'all think at the same time. And you know, just kind of build the relationship. And we did that with a few, um, 
a few different publishers and, you know, you just take the meeting and, you know, with, I think in the early stages, you try to play matchmaker a little bit and hope to find the vibe and, you know, the creative partner where it's going to just magic's going to happen, you know? Yeah. And so, um, Gable had a little bit of a catalog. I mean, obviously he didn't have this huge catalog, but, but there was something for y'all to walk in there with and play them. Yeah. Yeah, there was. Um, and he was still, and he's, you know, still writing. So he could be like, Oh, I wrote this song a week ago. Like, I'm really excited about it. Like I'd love to play it for you guys. And that'd be the situation. Um, and I think too, as you start to get, um, in with the writers in town, you get a little more validity from other people if you're writing with people that are a little more established. Oh, of course. Yeah. But be like, oh, like he writes with so and so. Like that's that's awesome. Like that's great. And like, you know, Gable could say that that, you know, we've had a few sessions with this person and it's just gone really well. I like the stuff we're working on. And I think, you know, because everybody knows everybody. And I think that little bit of validity early on kind of gets a little bit of momentum going as far as getting co-writes and things goes. Sure. Well, and then, I mean, you've also got the added um, factor of, of him being his own artist and also, you know, working on his craft as a writer. So do you think that played into a little bit of the meetings that y'all were able to get? Uh, sure. And we didn't bring it, I don't think necessarily is that he's just a writer. I think it definitely was like, we are managing an artist who writes songs right and need to get him co-writes and get him involved in the writing community in Nashville. So that definitely helps. And for those listening, if you're an artist, you're going to get a lot more (laughs) co-writes if you're not, unless you're an incredible writer. Um, and that's just the way it, it, it works. Now, a lot of songs in Nashville are being written with the artists and you go and look at, any track listing from any guy, you know, most artists write three quarters of their record. Maybe the whole yeah, which I think is a shift in the last 10 years, at least. Um, yeah. You know, I think it was a little different in the early 2000s and mid 2000s. Totally, totally. Um, you had, you know, prior to streaming, it was CD sales and you were able to be a staff writer somewhere and make money because people were buying full CDs, not just a single on iTunes or certain songs that they liked on iTunes. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's definitely been a shift in town for sure. Yeah. Um, so what's some of, um, now that he's, he's got the publishing deal, y'all are rolling with that. Obviously, we're not able to tour a lot right now, but what's some of the stuff moving forward that y'all have got on the horizon with him? Man, we have been in with... Oh, just doing demos and um, getting songs kind of ready to just, you know, pitch to people and show people. And I think that's as much as you can do right now. It's just, yeah. you know, so you're, 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 you're honing on new material and, uh, and planning on being in the studio at some point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think you have to. And it's such an interesting time, too, man, because, you know, people's attention spans are so short these days like music comes out friday and i think unless it's really great you forget it by monday right forward to the next friday of what's coming out um so i think you know you there's a, a bit of a battle with 
the attention span of a human. Like, yeah, you can put music out, but is it going to fall on deaf ears? Yeah. How do you use the tools that you have available to you without the road to, you know, to elevate, to get people to listen to music, to get people to lean in and be like, oh, what's this? So why do I want to listen to this guy? You know, what's he have to say? Do I align with this person? You know, and I think on the road, you, you see a show, you're like, okay, well, you know, you're, you're interacting about for sure, it. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's funny you mentioned that I was, um, I put out a social media post sometime in the last few weeks. I don't remember when, but it was, a. Uh, you know, Friday, and I was checking out my release radar and my Discover Weekly and kind of thumbing through some new stuff and doing a little discovery over the weekend. And, and I found a few tunes that I really, really dug. Um, you know, we've, we've got a playlist here at Rise that we kind of throw some stuff on, stuff that I'm excited about and, and uh, some of our other staff are excited about. And found some stuff I really loved, and I got to thinking, I was like, how many times am I going to listen to this song? And I came to the conclusion, probably four. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I put a post up on social media. I said, so when you find a song that you love, you really love, mm-hmm. do you listen to it one to 20 times or do you listen to it 20 to 100 times? And uh, it was a really interesting little experiment seeing especially um, especially the industry friends and stuff being like less than 20 for sure. And, uh, but then you would still get a fair amount of people being like 20 plus. And I was like, that, that restores a little bit of faith for me, uh, seeing that there's still people out there that are excited enough about a new project to listen to it 20 plus times. Totally. Totally. And I think that's the battle is getting them in the boat. Just keep them in the boat. You know? Yeah, Just definitely. Super serving, like, you know, give the fans what they want, but yeah, it's just such an interesting time. And myself personally, like my release radar, there's usually like one or two songs that that grab me, and, and it's like, man, that's it. And then I'll go listen to John Mellencamp and Bob Cooper. <laughs> and I'm just gonna go back to the, to the stuff I love and you know rely on. But I'm all over the place, dude. And I mean, I'm trying to think uh, some stuff I save and. You know, I just kind of shuffle just newish stuff, and then I'll find myself going back through like my life songs on Spotify and be like, meh, out, out, out. Sure. So, sure. Yeah, because it just gets tough, man. It's like, you know, like you said, it's, you know, is it zero to 20 or is it 20 to 40? And how do you get to the 20 to 40? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Well, um, let's hit a little bit on kind of, we we touched it briefly, but kind of getting started in Nashville as a young business professional. Um, me and you, man, I think I think we'd been on some emails together and stuff like that, yeah. and and you know we're we're shooting emails back and forth, business related. And then I feel like we'd probably run into each other in the bars just with mutual friends um, several times before we ever really like clicked that hey, me and this person have been emailing each other for several months now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you mentioned a little bit earlier in the podcast about if you had had one piece of advice to give to somebody wanting a job in the music business, get out, hang out at the bars and try to meet some people. So can we expand on on that and kind of just how that whole ecosystem works? 
Sure. I mean, it is a, it's such an interesting world. And I think with you and I, I we were working with Cameron Nelson for a bit and you were working with Kirk Baxley. Yeah. 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 You still are. Yeah. And, uh, Cameron had Kirk as a bass player. And then I think he just connected us. And I think we were in town. We may have gotten lunch or something. But there's so many people I'd like this, for instance, where I'm like, yeah, I know that. Like Tanner and I are buddies. And I don't exactly know when and where we met. Yeah. And that happens all the time. But, you know, to, to young people moving here, and I'd say young people, I'm 26. I'm still, I'm still just a kid. But, um, for me, it's just you go out and just go to shows, talk to people, you know, follow, get on musicgrow.com and look for familiar faces. And, and I was fortunate I had a company that I was working at that I could go to shows with people that, I, you know, were coworkers and things. But, um, you know, find a familiar face in Music Row or in Country Air Check. And if you see that person, go up and just introduce yourself like, we're harmless, really. Like, hey, I saw you work with so-and-so. Just wanted to, you know, shake your hand and tell you who I am. And just leave it at that. Don't, you know, don't be a germ initially. Like, let it simmer. Then run into him again and be like, oh, hey, like, you know, what's up, dude? Like, can I buy you a beer? Can we, can we hang out or, you know, can we go to lunch? And eventually those things snowball and you'll see them at shows and they'll be with somebody that they work with or someone that they know. And then it just, you know, it, it just grows. It's, it's really crazy. And then eventually, I mean, I can go to the, I live in Madison and I can go to the grocery store here and be like, Oh yeah. Like I totally know that guy. I didn't know he lived in the same neighborhood as me out, you know, 10 minutes North of Nashville. Like it's such an interesting community, but like my, my advice is uh, just, just be a good hang you know just try to meet as many people as possible yeah most definitely one i mean honestly from from my experience the further up the food chain you go most of the time those people who have done really really well for themselves in music are the ones who are the biggest fans they're the most humble people they don't really have any ego or um, you know, self-importance to their own personality. They just want to help the artists around them. And that's why they're so good at their job. And that's why they go to the top of these companies. Um, I mean, like you mentioned earlier in the interview, David, David Macias of 30 Tigers. I mean, one of the nicest, most approachable dudes I've ever met in the business. And he is the biggest music fan. Yeah. He is still hungry. He's still, I, I'll see him out at shows to this day. And I mean, I think he splits his time between here in California. Um, I mean, he'll be at a random show. And I'm yeah, same with that. You know, another guy who reminds me a lot of him in the way that he views music and, and is plugged into the scene so much still, even at his level, is John Marks from Spotify. Like, you'll still see John over, you know, hanging out at the back of a room yeah. in some bar in Nashville, and he's just hanging out. Totally. I mean, you. I think you have to have above everything you have to be a fan you yeah. have to love it you know? for sure yeah very cool man well uh i think we dove into some some pretty cool stuff um is there anything that we missed that you wanted to hit on man i don't i don't think so uh, i think i think we're good 
what about you? Do you have anything you think we're uh, we're missing? Man, I think we're all good. Looking forward to uh, being able to come back to Nashville and hang out when we're not in the midst of coronavirus, so we can go grab a grab a drink again. Oh yeah, go hit the red door. <laughs> sure. yeah, too. Very um, cool, man. Well, uh, I definitely appreciate you taking some time and um, tell thanks. tell everybody at CDA hello for us. I will do. We'll do. Cool, man. Well, uh, we will talk to you soon. Sounds good. Right. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. We'll talk to y'all next time on On the Rise. Yeah, yeah. When's the last time I checked out? Too cool for a mountain. Only time it'll stress out. What do I want to step out?